I didn't want to mess it up, you know. I don't want to break. I'll break equipment. I'll break equipment. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Just uh, get Nehemiah's credit card. That'd be good. Um, man, it's good to see uh, people here that don't let hurricanes or holidays get in the way of your love for Jesus. It's good to have you here today. Uh, my name's Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here, and. Um, This morning, you guys know how I like to come up with a good title, and I was really struggling with the title this week, but so I just said, you know what, I'm just going to say what this sermon is. This sermon is for Pastor Joe. That's the name, and so, and the reason, and so I'm saying that so you guys know ahead of time, you don't have to listen, because what I'm about to share, none of you ever struggle with. None of you, right? Because it's just what I struggle with, I'm sure. So, so if, there's, if there's ever a sermon where you wanted to go out and get a donut or a bagel or something like that, uh, today's the day. I'll still be watching, but still, if you want to go out there. Now, um, so before I read the, the passage, and by the way, just a heads up, the font on the next two screens is a little small because the passage is a little longer than normal. I'll still be reading it out loud. But if you can't see it, uh, just sit next to a young person and ask him what that, what that is up there. Um, so the reason I titled it this is because there's been something that I've been struggling with a lot over the last couple of months. And you'll hear more about that later. And it's something that, um, frankly, while I'm struggling with it in the area of church, I think the, the application can go to other parts of your life as well. And so uh, as I was writing this sermon this week, it really was speaking to my heart and it really kind of freed me from a little bit of a prison that I was in. And so that's why this sermon is for Pastor Joe. We're continuing our series on 2 Corinthians. And the passage today is in chapter 10, verses 9 through 18. I'm just going to read it for you. Uh, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were there, or for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. So that, when, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. It's a good passage. So like we do at Grace Life, we look at three applications. The history, what about man, what did he do? And the theology, what about God, what what did he do? And then the devotional, what about me, what about us? What are we supposed to do? I want to talk about the historical application of today's passage. I want to talk about humble confidence. So just... To remind you what's going on, Paul is being continually attacked by people who are trying to take away his credibility. The attack this time was that Paul wrote really mean letters, but he didn't have the courage to show up and say the same things he wrote. 
Why you listen to this guy? He writes you these mean letters all the time. Yet when he comes here, he doesn't want to confront you face to face. And Paul says, you guys know this is true, that whatever we've written in letters, we've said to you in person. And not only that, they wanted to boast of what they had done and saying, you know, you should listen to us instead because what we have done is this and this, but Paul just does this. And Paul would never really do that, but that's what they're doing. And their goal was to take over what Paul's team had started. Frankly, this is what false teachers always do. They don't innovate. They try to take over and corrupt what is good. But Paul's response is humble, yet extremely confident, firm, and bold. Let's look at the ways that Paul responds to these attacks. First of all, he says there is no comparison. He brilliantly discredits his detractors without trying to build himself up, which is the antithesis of what I might try to do if somebody attacks me. Paul wasn't distracted by their comparisons because he knew and trusted that God was the one doing the work in and through his life. Unlike his detractors, Paul understood where ministry success came from. And he had unwavering confidence in it. As a matter of fact, most of Paul's detractors were very good at self-promotion. They would be Facebook, Twitter, social media animals if they were around today. They constantly trumpeted their religious accomplishments. This is why you should trust us. Look at what we have done and look at who we are. They attack his credibility by talking up their own accomplishments and resume. And Paul says, I don't want to be compared to their successes. Their standards have no wisdom. So that's the first thing. He says, I'm not going to play the comparison game. Then there's the second step in the history. He talks about his humble beginnings. And Paul declares that the reason for his success as an apostle is because of God and not him. He didn't try to take credit for the work of others. In fact, he says it. I'm not going to boast in the work of others as though it were my own. Paul instead recalls his history with them of selfless, sacrificial, humble service for at least two years. And he says, together with you in the power of God and the gospel, we built this church in God's power from nothing. And he recounts the fact that the way that the Corinthian church started was not with a bunch of fanfare and a big launch and a big social media campaign. He said, I simply came here before anyone else would with my team, and we just shared the message of the gospel with you. Then he talks about this uh, humble strategy that he has. It's really fantastic. And I, I learned a lot from this this week, just studying this. Paul expresses that his desire is to build God's kingdom and not an empire a church empire, if you will. His focus was finding the most efficient, effective way to spread the gospel from Corinth into other areas where they already had influence. He isn't trying to put an Apostle Paul logo everywhere. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't know what it would look like, but it'd probably be pretty cool. He says, I'm not going to try to put my stamp on everything that we do. He wants to make them learn the gospel, take what they've learned, 
and expand their sphere of influence through their efforts. That's what he wants. He wants them to learn the gospel and he wants them to take it and go to other regions with it. And he says, that way we can preach to more regions and not have to brag about it being us because it's you. As a matter of fact, he talks about this strategy. It's one of my favorite discipleship verses, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And Paul says, my mark of success is whether or not you are going to be able to do what I have done. My mark of success is not whether or not it's a big church or it has, you know, the first Corinthians Apostle Paul church, you know, St. Paul, I guess they would call it, right? That makes sense, right? St. Paul. And he says, no, no, no. All my measurement of success is this. The things that I've taught you, you'll be able to take to other, re other regions. He shared this with Timothy, and that's what he's saying to the Corinthians here. So that's the, 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 uh, the, the history of what's going on here. Now let's talk about the theology. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? It's very clear in this passage that Paul says God grows the ministry. And understanding how God works produces a natural reluctance in a person to take credit for what has been accomplished through him or her. Let alone taking credit for what hasn't been done by us. I mean, even if we try to take credit for it, there's something in us that makes us a little reluctant to do it. I mean, like, for example, when somebody says, oh, Pastor Joe, you've had a big impact on my life, you know, I'm saying, oh, thanks, that's great, you know. But inside I know it has nothing to do with me. <laughs> and so part of me wants to hear it, and then part of me doesn't want to hear it. I'm just being real with you here. And it's a struggle. But a person who understands where, God, where ministry comes from, where growth comes from, understands it starts with God. And here's how God does it. First of all, he starts with transformation. See, Paul knows what he was before his road to Damascus moment. We talked about that last week, did we not? He knows what he was. He murdered Christians. He understands that what is happening in Corinth through him is a ridiculous, absolute, supernatural miracle. This is the guy who was in charge of making sure churches didn't grow and he is causing growth and planting churches. He knows I was a murderer. Now I'm an apostle. Insane. It has to be God. You see, transformation of sinners is God's work. Paul didn't transform Paul. God transformed Paul. It's not the work. Listen carefully and... and it, I want to make sure that when I communicate this, that it's not coming across as hypercritical because it's not. But here's the deal. Transformation is not the work of a strong program or advertising or as much as I would like to admit, it's not a result of great sermons. <laughs> Transformation is a work of God. Logic says you can't brag about spiritual success while remembering your own road to Damascus. I mean, that just makes sense, right? So let's talk about the next thing that God does. He gives us a specific calling. He outlines that in today's passages in verse 13 and 14. See, Paul knew he had a specific job to do. It was different than anyone else's job. I mean, being the apostle to the Gentiles, none of the other apostles really wanted to do that. But not only did God give Paul a specific call, but he equipped him and his team for it perfectly by who they were, 
what their experience was, how God had saved them. And what began to take place is God said, I'm going to save you, Paul, and I'm going to give you a specific calling. And part of that is to plant a church in Corinth. Peter can't do it. The Apostle John can't do it. Only you can do it. As a matter of fact, Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 3 and 5. I'm just going to read this to you. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. He's basically explaining how important it is that we all have different gifts and skills and roles to play. This concept applies to churches, obviously, too. Not just individuals. God makes different churches for different jobs and different things. Then there's another thing that God does when it comes to how he builds his work. He gives us reliable tools. And it really doesn't even have to be a plural God gives Paul the ability to faithfully do the work and he trusts God for the results. And through this, he relies on one thing and one thing only, the power of the gospel. Paul doesn't need the cutting edge methods of his self-promoting detractors. He needs one thing. As a matter of fact, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. I love it. This is in the same book. Here's what he says at the very beginning of the book. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom or a complicated social media strategy. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words... I decided I was going to have one message. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. In other words, I made myself very vulnerable, not only to you, but to the government authorities around you. It was not a good thing. When Paul was there, many people wanted to kill him because of what he was saying. And my speech and my message were not in plausible, flowery words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The reliable tool is the message of redemption and grace and faith through the work of Christ on the cross. That's the devotional. So let's talk about, or the uh, theological, let's talk about the devotional now. So um, things Joe must do. And I'm, you know, when I say we, for the rest of this period, if I say we, it's an accident. I mean I. Okay, because so, none of this applies to you guys. You don't have to worry about this. This is just for me. This was the, this was the Sunday sermon preview I, toast, I posted on our fabulous social media uh, campaign that I have every week, right? So trusting what God is doing frees us from the millstone of comparisons. That's what God gave me this week. Because Pastor Joe constantly struggles with comparisons, insecurity, and he responds to that with self-promotion. We, sorry, I mean I, sorry, I a mistake, often lose confidence in what God is doing through this precious little church called Grace Life. 
I constantly struggle in comparing Grace Life to other churches and the programs that we, I'm sorry, I can't compete with. Especially when we, I mean, I, sorry, I keep doing it. On purpose, by the way, if you haven't caught that yet. <laughs> it's not a mistake. We <laughs> Good. <laughs> We sometimes lose, you know, in our ministry. Maybe we lose a family or two because we don't have some of these things. And as a human, I struggle with that. Maybe I could have done better. The constant comparison with other churches has distracted me from the gospel many times. It makes me feel inferior or maybe superior, depending on the church I'm comparing myself to, you know. And as tempting as it is sometimes, it also disgusts me that I fall into that trap. Should Grace Life be bigger? Should we get a building? You know, I've had dozens of talks with Brian. I asked Brian to be here today. By the way, Brian Yost is one of the guys who's kind of an overseer of our church, outside of our church. If there's ever an area of sin that I'm caught in and you guys are having trouble with, you know, uh, you know confronting me on it through the shepherds and the leaders that we have, one of the people you go to is Brian. Um, he doesn't have a phone number or email, so you just got to figure out a way to find him, but no, he does. And I've had dozens of talks with Brian. Brian will call me, how you doing? I said, well, I'm struggling. Brian, can you help me find a building? <laughs> right? Brian says, no, I'm not going to help you find a building. That's not who Grace Life is. But Brian, we've got to have a building and we're going to lose families. We've got to have a youth ministry. Gotta... Joe, no, I'm not going to help you find a building. I mean, we've had a lot of talks about it. And, and so, I, well, I understand why we started Grace Life the way we did. I'm just telling you what I struggle with. Sometimes I look, well, I could be get a little bigger. And I compare. But writing this sermon this week began an important process of resetting my focus and trust and calling. And I hope it's still part of the church as well. I felt free this week. Now, look, it might not last through the holiday weekend, but I felt free from the prison of comparison for a few days. And so some things that Pastor Joe must do and what, frankly, you must do is we, I mean I, must stay focused. I was reading this. This was, I was doing some research, and I forget where I read this from. This is from a preacher who was dead. I can't remember his name. He says, you don't have to be the church of the world. He says, you don't have to be bigger and better. You don't have to be number one. You don't have to be the greatest. You don't have to be the largest. You don't have to be the widest, most far-reaching. None of that matters. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Not criticizing churches who are a lot bigger and have a greater reach. Not at all. That is not the point of this sermon at all. But it is so easy for me to get my focus distracted from trying to be something that God has not made me to be. Amen. All we have to do, all I have to do, is be faithful to what God has called us to. So the first thing is we must stay focused. The second thing we need to do devotionally, we, I mean I, must avoid empire building. There's a story of a church that started in town uh, a couple years ago that I, was, I helped start. They came under Mobile Preacher and we were helping with their finances and stuff like that. And they had a really cool biblical name. It was straight out of the Bible, right? It was a cool name. They had the name and they were there and they had been going for like three months and then... As you know, because it was listed under Mobile Preacher, I got a phone call from the business manager of this big, big church somewhere else in the country. Said you have to change your name. We do. 
Well, yeah. I said, yeah, but it's in Isaiah. The name is in Isaiah. I don't, I don't have to change it. It's right there. It's in the Bible. We just copied the Bible. What, do you own the Bible? Copyright. No, we have a copyright on that name. Well, how'd you do that? It's in the, doesn't matter. You have to change the name. I said, well, we can't change the name. We spent a lot of money on this name. And they said, okay, well, we'll send you some money and you have to change the name. We took the money. <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I was frustrated that this, my brother who's starting a church here in town had to change his name because a church outside of the state of Florida said, that's our name. You can't have it. They were building an empire. And the focus needs to be kingdom building, not organization building. There's a big difference. And I'm not saying that organizations don't get built in the process, but it's not the main focus. What God makes grace life into is his business. We just have to be faithful to it. We have to avoid the temptation of spending a lot of time and energy and money on building a brand. Because we, okay, when I say we, I mean I. Because you guys don't struggle with this again. This is not your sin, right? This is me. We are tempted to rely on promotion and program and marketing. And I stole this straight from Brian this week. Matter of fact, I called him. I said, Brian, I'm preaching this. What do you think? And he started talking. I said, slow down. I'm typing. <laughs> he says, when, when we promote ourselves, we end up doing two things. We demote others through a spirit of competition. And we demote the importance of the gospel as our primary ministry tool. We must instead focus on building up people through things like surprising generosity and humble service to those God brings into our sphere. But most importantly, we look at transforming people through the gospel. That's where the power lies. It's not in building a brand or an empire. And that brings me to my last thing. I, we must trust the gospel. And it's easy to put our confidence in building these programs that other churches have. And they're good programs. I'm not, so just want to make sure I drive home. I'm not saying that other churches are doing it wrong. They're not because God has called them to be what they are. But it's easy for us to put our confidence in programs and methods. And there's nothing wrong with those. But the power of grace life or those programs that other churches have lies in one thing. According to Paul, he says, the spirit and the gospel. You can have a great program with a million dollar budget. If there ain't no gospel, there's no transformation, period. End of discussion. Amen. That's all there is to it. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is what Paul says. I love this. I love how he says this in the book that we're studying. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Isn't that great? But our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be the ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul says our confidence is not in our ability to be good religious people. It is in one thing, the spirit of the gospel. So, just so you understand uh, how grace life and the concept of grace life, I would love to be able to say, oh, this unique opportunity or this unique plan of making sure you have a church that meets in a bar, you know, and no full-time staff. And that's all my idea. No, actually, Brian has been drilling this idea in my head for 11 years. Even when he was a pastor in a church with a building with full-time staff, he was telling me this. 
It's true. He was saying, and he was saying how this is how God brings people together to make a church's DNA, DNA unique. It makes us who we are as a church, what we're supposed to be. And it should, when we understand that, free us from the burden of who we are not. We, I mean I, can celebrate our incredible uniqueness of our DNA at Grace Life because this is what God has made us to be. With all our deficiencies and all our flaws, there is nothing like us. We are uniquely, unusually flawed. Nobody is flawed like us. This doesn't make us better or worse, by the way. Because our goal is not perfection, although we want to do things well. Our goal is transformed lives that need a church that is uniquely mobile, organic, biblical, and generous. Those are our core values. And as I stepped back this week and began to take some inventory, man, God has brought us a bunch of mobile, organic, biblical, generous people. It all comes down to this, and this is the, the slide I wanted to put. Do I or we trust what God wants for our church? Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I want something different. And sometimes I start thinking of ways that I can make it different. How can I suddenly, you know, I, I still want to have the rebel uh, tag, but I'd like some of the benefits of conventional church. You know, like a full-time job. <laughs> some of that stuff, you know. So I, I know I'm a rebel, but, you know, I'd like some of this normal stuff too. And so what happens is I begin to think, well, I know God wants us to be a certain thing, but maybe I could do it a little better than God. All of a sudden, I'm not trusting the gospel anymore. That's why this sermon this week was for Pastor Joe and why you didn't need to listen because you don't struggle with this at all. I'm joking. You do struggle with it. Trust me. I have a list. You do. <laughs> listen, there's no guarantee that I won't struggle with it again next week. But I do have people in my life to hold me accountable. One of them is my brother, Brian, and some of them are our shepherds. But for now... I wanted to let you know where I am, where my heart is. And I learned it from this passage this week. We don't have to compare. We just have to be who God has made us to be as a church and trust that he knows what he's doing. He has brought an eclectic, strange, unusual group of people together to start a church. It really is pretty amazing. You look across and different types of people that are in here. And I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for what God has brought you to be. I'm thankful that God transformed you. I'm thankful that God gave you a special calling. And I'm thankful that he has given you reliable tools in the gospel. So therefore, we don't have to have the millstone of comparison. We just need to be what God has called us to be. That's all I have for you today. Heavenly Dad, I just pray that you would help us to be what we're supposed to be. Lord, it's so easy to fall into this trap of comparing and competing. 
That's not what you've called the kingdom to be. You've called the kingdom to be a group of eclectic churches. All of them are flawed. All of them are different. All of them are unusual. All of them look different from each other. And you've, reached, you've called us to reach specific types of people in specific types of ways. And we're so thankful that you've made us uniquely flawed in that area. In Jesus' name.